it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOCNation. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor Super Contest and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rival. Rejoice, it's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code VOCNATION, all one word, no spaces, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your pick win big collect your cash use promo code voc nation all one word no spaces and double your first deposit your winning season begins today only at my bookie all right you guys podcast time we got the equipment and the perfect business plan give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it ready get in there you will deal with that atlas harshly I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. We actually have a guest this week. We're not going to waste any time because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm Dan Calachico. Craig Laganza is with me. And joining us from the world of Twitch, from the world of video games, uh, she wanted to talk wrestling, and I ducked her for a month because I wasn't feeling well, and I finally brought her back. And her kids are there, too. Momo. Yep. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Come on, Dad. Yes, great, great timing. We, uh, that's uh, that's why I've heard that's what happens when you have kids. Is timing that's... is uh, always great. Yes, timing is always great. It's okay. I'm not going to say a word. Mm-hmm. We, we... You know, it was. It, I see. I didn't know it was bring your uh, your your kid to work day. So I brought mine too. Your kid's there too, though, Craig. Yeah, right here. My, my kid's too there too, but he's an old dachshund and he's under the blankets. If I touch him, he's going to just look at me like, "What'd you wake me up for, a hole?" So I'm just. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. So we have modern, we have 
current news to talk about. I figure we'll talk about wrestling first, end it with the nerd stuff, because something very significant happened, uh, well, in the world of entertainment uh, 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 in general, uh, but there is that nerd superhero connection. We'll end with that. But first, to wrestling, uh, let's do this one first. Brock Lesnar's gone from the WWE. <laughs> is, is, is that breaking news? Is that breaking news? Is that breaking news? Is that it's, confirmed? Both breaking news. Uh, it is confirmed that he's not signed a new contract. Okay. Um, Momo, you're saying yay. Uh, not a fan I, of Brock. I, I'm saying I'm saying yay too. But go ahead, Momo. I I was I was never a, a Brock Lesnar fan to be honest. Like I I felt like he was always like and and he's even said it like he's always been like a very standoffish person um and obviously you know him breaking the streak was not my favorite oh no i oh god i can i can go on a full rant about that uh, this is your time okay so my biggest issue with brock breaking that streak is twofold one it shouldn't have been somebody who was a part-timer sure um i think it was like you know it should have been gone to somebody like a bray wyatt or even a cm punk um but of course bray wyatt was facing john cena at the time uh i that was my first thing second thing is is like the whole idea of the streak was you couldn't cheat death right you, oh, right right you, okay you, you can't cheat death um death is always gonna come and for rock lesnar to come in as a part-timer and basically quote-unquote cheat death um i didn't like that um uh, and another thing too i think like the rumor was is that um him and undertaker mark calloway they do not like each other but they'll work together so I don't know if it was his decision uh, to have Brock break the streak or not. Either way, not a fan of it. Should have been a part-timer. And if you're going to end the streak, you should have just retired then and there. <laughs> wow. And it, it wouldn't, and nobody would have had a problem with it. But that's just me. Craig, your rebuttal while I take care of things on the back end? <laughs> I, I don't have much of a rebuttal. I agree that um my problem with uh Brock Lesnar just period just him being a part-timer um him being the champion as long as he he was uh took away from uh people you know like a Drew McIntyre or um Seth that could have been champion or could have ran the company while he was out doing whatever or you know doing you know four shows a, a year um I've never been a fan of The Undertaker. I've made this point very clear on this very podcast. And I do agree with Momo that if you are going to break the streak, uh, I don't know about this cheating death thing, but um, it should have been, I thought it should have been Punk. uh, Or even if you wanted to, uh, because he's always going to be there, uh, Randy Orton, and that would have elevated his legend killer status. And Randy Orton is still here. Uh, So... Either one of those people I would have been fine with. And yes, as soon as Undertaker lost, he should have retired, which I've said many times on this very podcast, Undertaker should have retired five years ago. Um, he, should, he should have retired after he lost to Brock. 
that should have been it. Or or even, hey, even when he left his uh, his boots and his jacket and his hat in the ring, maybe that would have been a good time to say goodbye. Since yeah. That's what you do when you retire. But yeah. my hatred for The Undertaker is long withstanding, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy to see Brock go too is, my, is the point of this entire uh, ramble that um, I had. I'm happy it's not a ramble. It's, you guys have very coher- uh, he, coherent arguments, unlike my English, which is not very coherent at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Momo, I never thought of it that way. You, add, you actually added a whole other level to the, the street thing. I never, it never occurred to me the cheating death thing, and you kind of just boom. You just laid it out there. You made me hate it even more. Yeah. <laughs> you made it worse. Yeah. And the reason why I suggested that Bray Wyatt break the streak is because he's kind of got a similar vibe of like he's very mysterious and very like into like the supernatural. And that could have been passed on. That, that legacy or that like mystique, that kind of thing could have been passed on to Bray Wyatt. And, you know, that kind of could have been like a passing a torch thing. Um, but, again, Vince being Vince and people making the decisions that they make and the powers that be and creative, being creative, as it were, decided to feed Bray Wyatt to the John Cena wolves. But that's, you know, that is what it is. I want to thank Harry Barnett for giving me another five bits. Uh, Momo, uh, you you know uh, how Twitch works. So Harry has this wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, trick of giving me one or five bits at a time. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah he <laughs> likes to play with me like that. Isn't he great? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, speaking of Twitch, uh, let me actually – hold on. Let me do this first. I, I've always been – Kind of like, eh, there's been times where I really like Brock, and then there's times I really, really don't like Brock. Um, <laughs> she's right, I am awesome. Thank you, Harry. Um, the, la- the last run was kind of okay for me. Uh, I still have the great memory of watching that Royal Rumble in Philly with Dean and Chris and Justin and that triple threat. One of the shining moments of again, what we could argue with uh, carries with Brock Lesnar is him going out in that match and being attended to by uh, medical professionals for about 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, as we, we can admit, he's a great athlete because as big as he is, the size of the house that he is, he was up at the rings at the apron like that. All of a sudden this tree trunk was standing at ringside like he levitated. <laughs> yeah. Great. That was a good triple threat match, but it's funny in retrospect, you guys talk about the, you know, the main point, of, one of the main points of contention is the, the undertaker street. I don't get it at this point. Now, after all of that last ride stuff on the dot, on the network with that long documentary, which was pr- very well done, but yeah, you get to episode five. You're like, yeah, you're right. Taker. You should stop. <laughs> <laughs> stop we get work we agree mm-hmm. um that that's it doesn't it made i i do get bitter to trans to transfer into our next conversation uh, about roman reigns i do get a little wrestling fan bitter that that wasn't it we could yeah. argue till our, we're all blue in the face of that, that match between him and roman reigns was not great 
No, it wasn't. <laughs> we could we could debate that, but the ending when you realized everybody sitting at home and in that stage was like, "Oh, that's it. This is actually it this time." Mm-hmm. Like Craig, go ahead, Craig. <laughs> yes, that that should have been it. Yes, um, okay. and for someone like me, who was ready to say goodbye to him years earlier. Uh, to do that, to make the symbolic gesture of leaving your coat and your boots and your hat in the ring, what better way to go out? That's like That was like Michael Jordan in game six against Utah. You go out like that, you make the last bucket of the, in the championship game as your last shot, that's how you go out. You, anything you do after that, basketball-related, kills, tarnishes your image. You guys weren't old enough to see Michael, um, to see Muhammad Ali fight in his last fight and be grateful that you weren't old enough to see that. <laughs> because, but that's what watching Undertaker was in the last like, three years. Watching Michael Jack, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan with the Wizards. Michael Jackson with the Wizards. Wow. <laughs> I would have paid to see Michael Jackson with the Wizards way before I would see Michael Jordan with the Wizards again. Okay. I actually remember that. Yeah. But, but you see, I was tainted though. Yeah. And that's exactly what the Undertaker did by coming back after leaving his, uh, it's making the symbolic gesture and making a big deal out of walking away. So no, I, at that point, there's no point to it. Like, no, there was no point. It was to worthless it. at that point. Yeah, exactly. it it served no purpose. It was it, once he came back after the hat and the boots. It was like, well, it's like, what are you doing? First of all, it was like, why are you why are you coming back? And second, he was injured beyond all reason throughout the years it was like dude no you you have nothing to prove you've had a tremendous career um you've had all this stuff you you don't need this momo you put it perfectly we're not sitting here saying screw you undertaker you're terrible well craig is but he doesn't like the undertaker but we're not saying screw you undertaker you suck go home you don't owe us anything else exactly nothing else you did that you needed to do that ever need you didn't need to prove anything I'm not going to – listen, if he wanted to prove something to himself, uh, I'm not here to tell him how his um, legacy should end. I'm not about that. But as far as us, he didn't owe us anything else. That is a career that 300 people will never, ever be able to replicate in 100 years. Craig, I, I see you wanted to say something. I, I agree, Dan, and uh, he doesn't owe us anything, and I don't hate The Undertaker. I love Mark Calloway. I, mean, I, I was love kidding. Mark but uh, yeah, but I'm I'm I've never been a fan. I never got the whole mystique. I never got I never got the Undertaker. Uh, that being said, I can't deny his impact and his, his place in professional wrestling history. It's unparalleled. And in knowing all that, Michael Jordan of all people said said this about retiring. I'd rather people say why did he leave rather than why didn't he didn't leave? he leave? Yeah. Uh, I, I something occurred to me just listening to you talk, Craig, and I think it's I don't want age gap. I told Harry how old you were last week. Uh, this week oh. we were talking about Chadwick, which is why I asked you how old to double check your age again, because one of the things uh, <laughs> Harry said to me like he's what I said, yeah, mm-hmm. Craig. I mean, yeah, Harry. You know the expression that Craig tells me almost weekly: "Black don't crack." It's a true thing. It is. It, it's absolutely true. I look like I'm 50. <laughs> I'm 37. It could, doesn't help the sandwiches, but no. Um, 
the age gap. And I, I think I figured out listening to you say something, Craig, just now, where when I was a, I was eight when the Undertaker came, like came out to the ring the first time. For an eight-year-old, that's more believable. To you, who've already been watching wrestling for 20 years at that point, I'm not trying to age you that much, but yeah. you know what I mean. You, you've seen wrestling at the Philadelphia Arena, the Spectrum, and the Center, okay, and the Civic yeah. Center. So my point is, is you're, you're already a veteran viewer at this point. You've mm-hmm. seen Mean Mark Calloway. You've seen The Undertaker at Gimmick and Gone. Well, this is stupid. I hate this. As a kid, though, it's like you believe that. Right, of course, yeah. a certain yeah. amount of, of uh, believability where this guy is got the power of the undead, and mm-hmm. he cannot be stopped. So it's a little different. I'm still mentally and, eight. Oh, thanks, Harry. <laughs> but but Dan, I and I, I I understand completely. I had this, you know, I had the exact same just, conversation. Hold on, with, this went from Brock Lesnar to Undertaker. I love it. <laughs> like that. Uh, but I had the same conversation of uh, in in 19 uh, with. With, with 19, I'm dating myself, but um, with uh, guys, my, my first group, real group of friends in the 90s and 2000s when we were in an improv group, yes, I'll admit that out loud, but they were all wrestling fans when we first bonded, and I got it because with them, they were all Hulkamaniacs oh, and we, in 1984, but I was 17 when, when Hulkamania started, so I had already seen Hogan in the AWA and even when he was in the WWF in 79. So I was, you know, had I been eight when my, my best friend of each first saw him or when, or 10 when my best friend, Mike, I would have bought the ice cream bars. I would have been decked out in red and yellow. I would have had the foam fingers, all that. Yeah, Cause I would have felt worse in the two thousands when that article came out, that video came out. Yeah. 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 Now you don't have to, you don't have to claim yeah. that. <laughs> so for, so for my, but when you're saying, well, you were eight when you saw The Undertaker, and that guy, I'm never going to begrudge anyone for being an Undertaker fan because if that's who you grew up on, that's that the that's your your first uh, meeting with The Undertaker is when you were a child. That forms everything yeah. going from from here on out. I had already seen Mark me Mark Callis that's in WWE. Yeah, that's what I yeah, said. You're, I you were him done at that bad, point. Yeah, <laughs> I seen him as the Punisher in World Class. I saw him as the Master of Pain in Tennessee. Gotcha. I seen like. Four different iterations of this guy. So I see him walking towards the ring. I think, oh, good. To me, he was he was the, the he was Kevin Ash before Kevin Ash. He already had five identities before oh. he even before he settled on one. Hold on a second. I, <laughs> oh, no. I hold on. I love Kevin Nash dearly. As uh, do I. Could, another guy we could argue about how he treated other. I, I don't care. The reason why people get paid is in part now to Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. So I don't. Re- I am, as you know, I'm in the early 90s going back chronologically through the entire WWE Network, and I hit Oz's debut. Holy shit. (laughs) That is the dumbest thing. I don't have memory of the original debut. I know Oz existed. In my head, I could see Kevin Nash's Oz. Later on, I can hear him telling, arguing with Dusty that Oz is a geographical location, not a person. It's the Wizard of Oz. Not, uh, I get, but I never saw the debut with Kevin Sullivan as the great wizard coming out. Welcome to Oz with the whole. Oh, God. With all the characters. What yeah, a yeah. cluster F, dude. 
Yeah, well, imagine watching it live on Clash of Champions. You can't. I'm, I'm coming home from work, and I can't wait to see it. And I watched it live. Yeah. I, yeah. I was a kid, though, so it must. I must have like blocked it from my mind. Like, and I saw it again. I pause it, but Oz is. I mean, Ozma. Well, <laughs> uh, Purple Flavor Trash also had a great uh, line uh, earlier. I'll have to reread in a second. But I was rewatching this, and I was like, Kelly, I pause it. You have to see this. And the look on her face was just probably Craig. What you saw when you watched it live, gone. What? Why? <laughs> and I, I, I had to explain to my mom that I'm rushing home from work to see Clash of Champions because it came on prime time. Yeah. And I work from from six to eight, or from from I'm sorry, from from uh, from nine to six. And I got home around eight, so I'm trying to get there in time to see everything. You and remember had, your work schedule in yeah. 91? <laughs> well, because – and we only had the one big TV in the living room that my mom would, you know, use to in prime time. So I had to bargain with her to, to watch it, and I still yeah. live at home. <laughs> and uh, she goes – she looks at, at, you know, these three actors, paid actors, extras, dressed up like Dorothy, Cowardly Lion, and, and Scarecrow. Badly. Staring at this – big giant screen for what seems like 20 minutes and nothing was happening and she goes this is what i gave up my tv for <laughs> if we didn't have the extra cable box in the bedroom my mom probably would have thrown it off at that point yeah i just said like i'm not watching this crap anymore uh by the way purple flavor trash with the line earlier talking about michael jordan i prefer to see michael jordan in the whiz but I'm bump, yeah. But I'm bump. I prefer Michael Jackson on the Bulls and not the Wizards. I get it. Dan, um, your background looks different, as if you have a fun house in your mobile home. <laughs> I'll say this: like you guys mentioned Hulk Hogan, it's funny that you guys mentioned. No, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Hulk Hogan um, along with Undertaker because. Um, it's it's funny because I was just talking about this with somebody the other day about how Hulk slammed Andre, and he said if that slam doesn't happen, we don't have like all the gimmicky stuff that we got. Like, True. and so it's like, would we have Undertaker if it if it not had been for that slam? Hey, Craig, I still when you come in, sir. <laughs> I, I still think we would have, and. Uh, Momo, I don't know if you uh, you listen to the podcast regularly. I mentioned on one of our, our segments, a wrestling historian, I saw Hogan slam Andre in July of 1980 yeah. um, at the Spectrum. Yeah, um, I remember that podcast, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. And he had been slamming Andre all up and down the East Coast uh, leading up to their showdown at Shea where he did it again. So him slamming him at WrestleMania – uh, to all the uninitiated WWF, oh my God, it's never happened before. And even the late great Kamala did it on Saturday morning so TV say, yeah. on the, in the mid south. Yeah, so um, I I still believe I, I I take your point. I still believe there would have been an Undertaker even if the if that slam hadn't occurred, and it was a big mom- momentous occasion for WWF fans, for wrestling fans. It was the the hip toss heard around the world. I uh, it's funny. Harry just said the butterfly effect. If Hulk hadn't slammed Andre, he may have gone on to do good with his life. <laughs> well, I don't know. I still think he's an a hole as a person, but I'm not allowed to talk about that anymore. You know, I I do 
I do too. Yeah. Well, well, we're all. It is what it is. It, oh, but, sure, it, yeah. but yeah, and because he though he is a his like Undertaker, his contributions to the professional wrestling can never be understated, and they're unmatched well, sure. uh, by by anyone. So we can <laughs> worse one for the other. Um, exactly with the with the Undertaker. Uh, I know we were originally talking about Brock, but now that he's gone, that leaves the door open for one of the people that would have had a a fine reign if in Brock's absence had he stayed away, is now getting it now. Uh, Roman Reigns, Momo, in your opinion, is this too little, too late? It, I mean, at, I mean, at this rate, I mean, now that he's with Paul Hammond. And, and wrestling fans, Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman is a good thing. Yes, but yes. I, if you're complaining about it, stop. Thing. It's a good thing because, like, let's be honest: is Roman Reigns a, a good? Is he a good promo guy? No. Is Paul Heyman a good promo guy? Yes. And it's the same thing that happened with with Brock. Is that? Brock's not a talker. He never was. But Paul Heyman is, so he can talk for him. And and I don't think, like, even... Um, I don't know if CM Punk was always the best talker, but he got... But he got with Paul Heyman, and that was a pretty darn good storyline. So, um, it, do I think it's too little too late? My biggest thing is we will see where it goes. Um, you know, because Ro- Roman's a heel now. I yeah, mean, he's it's a heel. Much, we, we, I mean, he's been he was booed out of the building when he was supposed to be the top face in the company. So now they, the WWE, just pretty much you know let the you know let the toothpaste out of the tube on that one. Let's just you know if, you, if you're going to boo him so much, let's just give me give you a reason to boo anyone with Paul Heyman is going to get booed. Yeah. So, and Heyman just equals heat. So now we have uh, Roman with with Paul. Um, but who are your faces now? As um, obviously Braun Strowman for you know for whatever reason. But is um, I don't know either. <laughs> but what? But what is Bray Wyatt? What is the Fiend? What is uh, is is he a face now? I if if you're going to have a feud with Roman, Roman's obviously the heel with Heyman. So. Yeah. Uh, Who's it? Uh, who's going to be the face? And I'm and I'm I'm saying all this is and all this is happening now with no audience. Do you yeah. hold on to this till we get audiences back, or is this going to be a couple of months and then when the the crowds come back, it goes away? Or are we going to hold on to this until uh, we get some? Uh, we can go uh, live at a Survivor Series or something, Dan. First thing I want to say is who? Why are you stealing my 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 segues, man? <laughs> I apologize. You can have no, your it was, back. No, yeah. I'm kidding. It was it was perfect. I told you when I brought you on the show. Anytime you want to take over with the flow, do it. It's our show, not mine. I just didn't expect it. I was like, well, all right, Mister <laughs> Mister Well, that was good. Uh, here I've been thinking about this ever since uh, Momo said I want to talk about Roman Reigns and. So I went back and watched all the clips because after SummerSlam, I stopped watching again. I just – there's hockey playoffs. When hockey playoffs yeah. is over, I might yeah. put more time into it, but the Flyers have given me a coronary every night, so I've been <laughs> saving the heart attacks for the hockey instead of the wrestling. But um, 
with the Thunderdome, mm-hmm. I really think this is – I love it. My personal feelings, this is awesome. You and I have been talking till we were blue in the face for four years now. By the way, you've been on the show pretty much that long. Um, about how he needs somebody else. I've been saying since day one when S.H.I.E.L.D. broke up that he needs to not say a word at all and just mm-hmm. be a badass and just run over everybody. If he's your guy, Roman Reigns, he look, he's a damn good-looking guy. He looks badass. Well, I think he's <laughs> I think he's good-looking, and people around me think he's good-looking. What, Craig? What? Go ahead. I was going to echo your statements. He all of the above. He's yeah. a great looking guy. He's uh, uh what the he what he's not though is is the Rock. You right. know you can't you yeah. can't get another half black half Samoan person in there expect the same results as a Dwayne Johnson. But That's, I'm saying yeah. as much as Vince throws stuff down our throats, I always felt the Roman Reigns thing was half assed. Not that they weren't trying with him, but because the crowd wanted something else, and Vince was adamant about what he wanted. It always felt half-assed that it was never going to last long. Like a Sting world title run. <laughs> um, and I love Sting, but God damn it, he never hit, held that very long. Pain in the ass, bookers. Um, I, I've wanted him at the top. I wanted him John Cena. At the top, unkillable for months at a time. And I don't think we ever really got that. People argue with me like, what do you mean? You haven't seen? But it never stuck because you always argued about it. Now we have bad guy Roman Reigns. And see, I got the what? <laughs> I got it already. It always felt half-assed to me because I knew they wouldn't stick with it, um, even though they, again, they pushed it. But it would always be half-assed because that's not what the fans wanted to see. It, so it felt like, what the hell am I investing my time into this for anymore? Now, you have the, I'm going to use my words carefully here, Craig, before you turn back o- take back over. The advantage of not having fans there, really? Yeah. And the producers telling them what to do? You know, you got the fans have producers in their ears now when they're in that Thunderdome. They're telling you when to react, how to react, and how loud and how long. They have that to their advantage. They don't have to worry about the crowd sound right now. They can pump in whatever they want, and they can switch out any window they want. And I'm saying go for it. And take your shirt off, dude. Not you, Craig. I meant Roman. Yeah, he's still got the bulletproof vest look on, yep. or he's got new merch to sell. You know, wreck everything and leave. I just am I am I crazy? Am I the only one that thought that when the when people were in the it still felt half-assed because people didn't really want that? What they it always looking back, it was just like, eh. Cal no, doesn't I, care. I, What's the point? <laughs> I think one of the the positive things or most positive things about um Heyman with uh Roman Reigns now is not only do we get a full heel Roman Reigns which we haven't had since the shield but every single one of Paul Heyman's guys from going back to CM Punk and most recently Brock Lesnar gets a really long reign so, yeah. you know, you said something about the Sting Championships. I can say the same about Ricky Steamboat's world title reigns. Yeah. They don't last. But with Heyman's guys, Paul uh, CM Punk had the longest reign of anyone since Bob Ackland. 
you know, more than a year and a half. Uh, Brock was another one that held up for more than a year and a half. You keep him with, with Heyman until the crowds come back. You build on that heat. So when they do come back, not just in arenas, but in major arenas or uh, in time for WrestleMania season, and Roman's a nuclear heel against whoever, they hopefully they'll start building up someone that could uh, – it's going to be – yeah, it's going to be epic. They, I, I, I'll say again, Momo. I don't know if you agree with me or not. That's my way of bringing you back in. Um, with the underground, or not just the underground, but with the Thunderdome, you do have a little bit. You're not tied to crowd reactions. I think that's also a good thing because a Booker or a writer. <laughs> sorry, read the chat too. A Booker and a writer can suggest things that maybe they didn't have leeway on when it was on track and everything was a hundred percent the way it should be mm-hmm. I, that I don't know. I, I just I want him it, to be unstoppable. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think in, in a couple of ways with it, not with there not being a crowd, there's not that immediate knee jerk reaction to be like, Oh, we have to do this or we have to do that. There's, they're sort of like they're sort of taking a step back and saying like, okay, we have our product, and it, it's like and it's it's like running any sort of business. It's like taking a step back. It's like you're looking at a face value. It's like okay, here's where we're here's where we're at right now. You know, we have our product, and now we can actually take our time to observe it. You know, analyze it. You know you know, take notes on it, you know, what's working, what can we improve on? Um, so with, and Roman has, and with Roman being the belt, you're right, they do have long reigns. Um, so I think this is a change. So, and I also think this can be a chance for them to go all the way and not, as you said. half yeah. it? <laughs> yes. You, you gotta go. You gotta go above and beyond. So I want him holding yeah. it for months. months. He probably will. It it would not shock me if. Yeah, it but did. I mean, I I have no I I get worried with the Braun Strowman thing and the Bray Wyatt thing, and I I I don't know. I don't know. He's uh, got a hold. Purple paper trash. Hold, what are you arguing with me? Go ahead, Craig. Just needed an answer. He's got a hold until least WrestleMania. Same, same thing with Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Drew McIntyre has probably gotten screwed more than anyone else because of the <laughs> pandemic. Uh, so he needs to be champion by the time we get crowds back. So both of them should be championed by WrestleMania. No interruptions. Uh, live audience is essential to wrestling as entertainment. No, I agree with you. Uh, it, the, but that's what I mean. The show has changed. So because you don't have the audience, right, he can only do so much. But I'm saying this is their chance to try different things that they wouldn't necessarily want to try because they're on a certain track with the crowds being there without the crowds being there. I think it does the office, uh, the obvious, you don't think they're ever going to bring crowds back ever, ever. Oh no, they'll bring the crowds back. They'll they have to. Sure they will. Vince will try it first and kill like 30,000 people. <laughs> you know, they need their, they need the revenue and they need the, uh, the, uh, the business and they need uh, to, to sustain themselves. And I was wrestling needs crowds back. 
I was saying, you know, everything because they have full control. Oh, in that way, you, no. Vince will definitely bring crowds back because he needs money. He needs the revenue. He needs the fans there. Absolutely bringing mm-hmm. crowds back on TV. I don't think. Um, I, I think the house shows might be little or none when this. Yeah, I I think he'll he'll coming back when we do trickle back. It'll be um, obviously the the live shows, uh, Raw and SmackDown, and then just leading up to the to the the pay per views. But no, I don't think we're going to see a house show wrestling at least till twenty twenty one. Yeah, and then you got to consider: will are people willing to come back immediately? Mm-hmm. Too. I think at first they will because it'll have been so long. But they'll, you'll want if the right if the writing is just the idea that the hold on chat going the the idea that they never bring the crowd back is absolutely insane. Yeah, I, this is their most profitable year because they fired thirty people, and they they're not traveling the states. That's why they're making money out of the ass, which is fun. Happy for you, great. Pay the talent, but um. Absolutely, if things, whenever things go back to a normal touring thing, mm-hmm. crowds are coming back. Uh, they already tried it in AEW. They're, I, I was saying this on uh, the Stadium Journey podcast last night. And at this point, I'm tired of arguing about it. It's not insane. It's just wrong. Okay, I agree, but I didn't want to tell him he was wrong because he'll argue with me for another three hours and DMs and I didn't feel like dealing with it. You don't have to deal with Harry. I do. Uh, <laughs> Um, I, at this point, I'm tired of arguing about where people should be and where it shouldn't be during a pandemic. I don't care. I'm exhausted. Do whatever you're going to do. I'll do what I'm going to do and we'll be fine. I absolutely think that sports before the year is out or after the new year, I don't know why I was looking at my watch to tell you time of day, uh, time of year, um, are going to start trying to put people in seats. I just have the feeling. I know Vince at the back of my mind somewhere wants to start housing people at that arena as soon as humanly possible, because let's yeah. yeah, Trash. uh, Don't argue with Harry. He actually doesn't care. It's, it's pointless. Um, The Thunderdome looks fine. It's just not the same. The NBA looks great. I think, and I said on the show last night that the NBA did the best with their play field, their playing field and the area with putting screens and the crowd in the screens that looks the best on TV. NHL looks like there's this big empty space. Uh, the WWE looked horrible until they moved to the Amway center. I think it's much better. It's an improvement, but not the best NBA still figured it out as far as I'm concerned. Uh, honorable mention to the MLB for putting, uh, especially me in the cardboard cutouts out in Citizens bank park, uh, the Phillies team uh, that looks okay. Yeah, I paid. Are you out there, Dan? Okay. Oh, yeah, you have to pay to get on there. Oh, okay. you have to yeah. pay. You have to pay. 40 bucks. Um, okay. The, uh, I'm in section 229. Uh, no, I'm in section 129, which is better seats than I ever afforded when I was actually there. Yeah, uh, uh, Preston and Steve were talking Steve about said, it. They have better <laughs> seats <laughs> the cardboard cutouts than they did at the actual. And they're Philadelphia you know, Royalty. The actual game. And they couldn't get better exactly. seats. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think Vince is going to be – I know Vince is going to try to be the first one to put people at, like, 
I don't know, every other six seats in a row. He's going to do it smart. He's not going to shove a bunch of sardines back into a can. He's not that stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe he would. Well, maybe he would. I don't believe he'll do that. I don't believe he's that dumb where he's going to be like, let's shove everybody in there. They're going to try first. And I do think sports, I know the NFL wants to, but the cities that the teams are in are going, nah, <laughs> no, you're not. No, I don't no. know. I, I do think crowds are definitely coming back. It's just a matter of when and how safe. And if I'm going, probably not. Until Ghostbusters come out and, yeah. I, and, I, and I risk going to the theater because I need that movie in my veins immediately. Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> you mentioned something about um, now is the time to try something new and try to start something new during this time. Um, when we get crowds back, does that hopefully that means the end of WWE Underground or WWE Fight Club? I'm not. I'm. I've invested so little time. The only reason why I watched this week is Kekoa was there. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get the same effect. Uh, I see. Momo, what do you think? It's it's tough. I mean, look. You, it's like you said. Vince is about making money. You don't care. He don't care where it comes from as long as it's green, and as long as he can spend it. Um, and now, if Underground is still making him money. And it is still profitable. It will be there. If not, he will axe it out. When when this is over, um, you know, if people will still watch it, and if people are there, and it's making him money, it'll still be there. But as far as I'm concerned, it's like it's just it's just another thing. It's just another thing that WWE does. In in these times, so it is what it is. Craig, right close now, it out. The, well, the only thing right now that WWE can look at uh, is ratings, and uh, yeah. which they've had the worst in the history of of Raw. Uh, and if you're taking, we're talking about segments. Uh, the WWE Underground is at or near the bottom of those. Um, if there was if there were such things as clickers, you would hear the, the the collector sound of TV channels turning left and right when WWE Underground comes on the screen. Uh, obviously, it's I don't know if this is Shane's baby. It's obviously everything goes by McMahon Vince's office first. He liked the idea. Your other eyes, he wouldn't have said yes to it, even if it was Shane's idea. But um, I just don't see where the future is at, where we can speculate on the future of Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre and the champions going forward. Um, and I've lost track of how many – it seems like everyone has a belt now on, uh, on every show. Uh, if, we can get, if we can speculate on the future of those people, I, I can't speculate on the future of uh, WWE Underground. I think it, had there not been – you know, I can't say if there hadn't been a, uh, a pandemic, if it still would have – happened i'm sure it would have happened uh either way because i'm i'm this is something that shane didn't just come up with this is something that shane it was shane's idea you know he wanted to buy mma back when mm-hmm. it was a, a fledgling you know once a you know month uh pay-per-view thing that that was seen on the end of local news at the back of sports pages so he was on he wanted that from the beginning um but i don't see where there where that's viable uh, money-wise, going forward. Yeah. 
like I said, it's like if he don't care where the money comes from as long as it's green, but if it's not making him money, he ain't gonna he ain't gonna keep it. Well We'll go back to wrestling right before the end of this, but I think this would be an opportunity, a perfect opportunity to take a break from wrestling real quick. <clears throat> and since we just did Nerd Herders last week, we couldn't do another one this week. <clears throat> um, you're wearing the garb of the Black Panther, uh, Harry, appropriately, because the world just lost Chadwick Boseman. And I figured, uh, along with Momo, you too. Yeah. Talk about that loss and the impact. Because it is an impact. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead, Craig. No, I, I've made my feelings known uh yesterday on the uh on our favorite radio show, Dan. Um I when I heard the news on uh last Friday, I literally dropped the remote because I didn't believe it. Uh <laughs> still don't. Um it's um and we go to, I'm sure Momo's uh, children have a vested interest in that. One of the things I posted was the amount of kids that paid tribute to uh, Black Panther with their action figures, laying him to rest. Uh, you know, we concentrate on, on Black Panther, obviously, because that's his most famous role. Um, but the others is not even his most important role. Uh, Jackie Robinson was the first time I'd seen him. In, in 2013, and then playing James Brown and Get On Up, he tackled more heroic, I mean, more iconic African-American figures than any actor before or since, and doing it at such a young age. And he was diagnosed four years ago, and he made two Avengers films um, and the Spike Lee movie and uh, all this, and, uh, and the Black Panther all while he had cancer. And all while visiting people, visiting kids uh, with cancer, and did so many great things uh, during his time here. And not only doing great things as an artist, but as a, as a person and as an icon, he knew the role he, that he had uh, in terms of influence in the African American community and what it meant to uh, to us. And he didn't take that Wakanda forever thing as oh, that was just you know, it was in the script. He learned the the, the notion, um, the African dialect in Captain America Civil War in minutes to, so he can have that conversation with the actor who played his father. And the actor who played his father is a African, a South African movie legend. And, you know, we're so used to being uh, Americanized that there's movies in Africa, in South Africa. And the man who played his father was a South, he was like the... Um, the Morgan Freeman of African movies. So him playing his father was a big deal. And he learned that African dialect for the, for the role. And he did it in minutes right before he shot the scene in the UN in the Captain America Civil War. But that's the kind of dedication that Chadwick Boseman had. And there was a big deal about um, the line that he wanted to put in um, with him and Michael B. Jordan, who, who've known each other since they were 15. Um, they know they go back a long way because uh, they with most actors acting community they, they went out for the same roles they were up for the same parts they yeah. knew about the same thing you know uh we need a we need a 18 to 25 african-american male for this role you know and then michael b jordan and chadwick boseman both raised their hands so it's like that but it was chadwick boseman who came up with the, the line 
when at, at Killmonger's death of him not wanting to be buried, but wanting to be with his ancestors yes. who, who didn't have a choice. That was Chadwick Boseman's idea um, to have that line uh, put in. Uh, there's so much uh, about him that, you know, it can be talked about, it will be talked about. And I watched Black Panther and Civil War and Endgame at least once a week since Disney came on before he passed. So um, him passing was just like uh, uh, hearing a friend of mine had gone because I spent so much time with him. I mean, the Avengers Endgame scene where, you know, Anthony Mackie had the line on your left, but he, he, him coming out of the light, uh, seeing that in a packed, hearing that in a packed uh, audience still gives me goosebumps. Even playing it on YouTube where people that taped it there still gives me goosebumps. He was part of something that's bigger than he could ever imagine. But the thing is, he knew it. And I think one of the reasons why he didn't tell anyone or didn't say anything about his condition, because he spent all of his life wanting to make other people happy and wanted to make other people comfortable and want to make them feel included. You tell someone you have cancer, then you spend the rest of your life comforting them. You're, you're spending the rest of the days that you have left making sure that they're okay. And that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to go through his life without the stigma because I, I forget who said it, but you tell someone you're, you you have cancer or you're getting divorced, you get the head tilt. Oh, and he didn't, he didn't want the head tilt. He, he wanted you to, to uh, respect him and to enjoy what he had to, to offer without the, 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 the stigma or the umbrella. Well, you know, he doesn't have much time left. Let's be nice to him. That kind of thing. Uh, can't it's say, the mic back uh, down. I put the mic back down for this. Um, Thank you. How much I love Chadwick Boseman and how much I love my Wakandan guard. Uh, Momo, please share with your thoughts. I don't know if I'm going to get through this without crying. So bear with me. I'll be right there with you. I'll be right there with you. Um, it's funny. It. I was watching keys real mom eagle um on twitch um for kobe's death and for chadwick boseman's death um and when i first heard it it didn't register to me that somebody who looked so like you know so happy and so like healthy and so like he was so like he was just everywhere like he was like every other movie to pass on at 43 like and i was just like saying the whole time like you shouldn't be dying at 43 like that that shouldn't be happening um and so and then i and then i had to actually work the next day and i and I was just like kind of in a fog and like one of my coworkers actually came up to me and was like, Hey, are you okay? Like you're, you're normally so like cheerful. And so I'm like, Chadwick Boseman died. He's like, yeah, I heard about that. It's really sad. It's like, and I didn't think, cause usually when a celebrity dies, I'm, I say, you know, that's, you know, it's sad. Um, but you know, you, 
you don't think and I, and it it didn't affect me this one this death right here i think this is the most affected i've been since like robin williams death like and you and you said it perfectly like he, i'm going to just focus on black panther um he had such a cultural that movie had such a cultural impact on the world like you you would see movie theaters you would see african americans going like in their african garb having their you know dressing up and like and you knew like this wasn't just another marvel movie because people dress up all the time going to marvel movies but with this one we weren't just celebrating a superhero we were actually celebrating a culture and for him to bring that to life and for him to represent somebody who was not only a superhero but was a king like people forget that he he had to be a king and he portrayed that so well of being somebody who had to struggle who also had those kind of struggles wanting to do right um just doing the right thing you know for his country and for the world like and i think one of i think one of the most underrated scenes in that movie um is towards the end when they're when they're at the un when he's talking about like you know we can't just like hide in the shadows and let the world basically like destroy itself we need to actually like start trying to take care of each other and you mentioned how like i have i have my kid right now and um and it was on last night it was um it was on last night and uh i was telling him i was like you know who that is it's like that's the black panther and um i got to cry um yeah, it's 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 something that you know his he he might not be with us but his legacy will definitely live on and his movies will live on and the way he carried himself will live on it's you know your life is you know i measure life as how you treat other people and how he always treated other people and how he was so humbled by how people accepted this role and how he took it and like you said he took it very seriously um uh we will miss him very dearly um and may he rest in power it kind of makes you wonder it kind of makes you wonder if marvel if like a couple of people at marvel knew um because the sequel to Black Panther was suppo- was like booked, I think, what, five years out? Yeah. Yeah. You and got the- you gotta wonder if they were preparing for the worst. If they uh, were preparing for that. You don't know. They swear no, I, I don't... they 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 swear they had no idea. They swear no that. one knew. Yeah, and no, none of his. But I mean, Spike Lee didn't know, and he spent um, two months with him in an African jungle shooting uh, the Five Bloods. 
So I don't think Marvel knew, but but you have to. But you know Marvel's um, plan. They yeah. have got all their movies mapped out for the next two years, and from the time Black Panther came out, they already knew the date of when Black Panther Two was going to come before they even started filming, before they even know how it was going to do, because this is all part of Phase Four: Black Panther Two, Captain Marvel Two, Doctor Strange Two, Shang Chi, The Eternals. Um, Black Widow, that's all part of the next phase. So he was, so Black Panther 2 is going to be made, uh, was, is going to be made, was going to be made regardless of uh, the circumstance. Obviously this is unforeseen circumstance because, mm-hmm. you know, and out of all the Marvel uh, actors who play Marvel superheroes, Chadwick Boseman is, is irreplaceable. Yeah. You can have an you can have an Iron Man movie without Robert Downey Jr. It's uh, and we're going to see a Captain America movie without Chris Evans, um, with either Anthony Mackie or Sebastian Stan. Uh, is it a, a Black Panther movie without um, Chadwick Boseman? It's going to be tough. Is it too soon to speculate? Do you even ask the nerd question? What do you do next? I wouldn't. I wouldn't even. I mean, what do you? They, what we do you tried. Do they tried on the stream Friday as we were finding out, and I, and I started to answer, but I was like, you know what? It's too soon. This just happened. I'm not gonna. It is too soon. And and on and the uh, they weren't going to start filming on Black Panther two until August of next year anyway. Regardless of the pandemic, it was still due going to be due out in May of 2022. So um, yes. Yes, Harry, maybe. thank you. I think you missed my point as usual. Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> maybe pre-production would have started, but um, th- uh, there wasn't going to be any filming on Black Panther 2 until next year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, too, is it too soon to talk uh, now uh, about it? Obviously, but it, it's a conversation that they are going to have. And I talked about it briefly on the on the show, uh, how Black Panther is going to continue without Chadwick Boseman, unfortunately. I don't have a problem with them recasting it, even though it's not going to be, obviously it's not going to be the same and it's going to suck. But 167 actors have played Sherlock Holmes, 145 have played Dracula on screen, too many have played God. Tarzan. Um, so if we have another Black Panther, it's I, I can understand. Yeah. And the franchise has got to go on just because for, for us more than anything else. As much as we love Chadwick, we need uh, we need Black Panther. Yeah, we do. More than ever now. Exactly. And that, that's what, what got me tearing up, Momo, was like watching it, seeing on the graphic another uh, black man dead um, and he of someone who was of of noble, who was so noble you know, unfortunately we still used to seeing uh, our people die needlessly with no reason with no consequence so seeing another, seeing him go was um, probably the most bitter pill to swallow so that's why we need uh, a Black Panther, Black Panther movie, just uh, to honor Chadwick because yeah. he gave it to us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Right. And because of that movie, I see more white kids dress up as a black superhero than ever in my life. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends, Kara, she's got two of the blondest Hitler youth looking kids I've ever seen. <laughs> but she she asked them, What do you want to be for Halloween? You pick any superhero you want. They pick Black Black Panther without even without hesitation. Yes, but so are they Nazi white. kids though? I don't know. All I do know is when I show she showed me the pictures of them on Halloween, and there's little Alan with the blonde hair sticking out of his Black Panther cartoon uh, uh, costume. So oh that, no! That is that's the cultural significance of Black Panther. They didn't. They wanted to be their favorite Marvel superhero, and they picked Black Panther without hesitation. Wasn't even thinking about, you know, yeah. color of skin or anything like that. It's that's just the cultural impact of. Of Black Panther. I don't know any other superhero that could have that kind of impact. Yeah. Momo, we must have you back again where we don't talk about happy and sad things and only happier things. Um, mm-hmm. Before you go, I want you to tell us what you do on Twitch, where we can find you on Twitch, but before that, who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Ooh. <laughs> oh, I did. I did. I put you on the spot on purpose, didn't I? Oh, man. Boy. Because you told me one answer, and I'm wondering if it sticks. Oh, boy. (laughs) By the look on your face, it's got to be Baron Corbin. No, stop it. Heck no. Stop it. Heck no. (laughs) Uh, Of all time? I mean, if if you can't do all time, just say, you know. You have a top five? In the top favorite? five, yeah. I, I, um, I don't know if I can name five. Uh, okay. Think three. Uh, I'll, I'll name... Th- oh, okay, I can name three. I, I think CM Punk, mm-hmm. um, Undertaker, sorry, Craig, and... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, That's I'm sorry. Best. That's the best. She was like, you, Craig. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. Please don't apologize. And, uh, and, I, and I gotta pick my favorite female well i'll actually i I can do four um i'll pick i pick two guys i'll pick two girls uh first girl is lita and second girl that i hope will come back i'm still holding it out um aj aj lee wow okay i'm hold i'm holding out hope i really i really hope she does come back um she was great yeah Okay. And Momo, I know your time is short, but we will get you back on. Uh, you know what? Let's make it for another month from now. Okay. We'll make we'll bring we'll bring you back on, and we'll we'll talk about things that aren't always all sad. Until then, please tell everybody because you supported me, and I like going to your channel whenever I can. So please tell me where that is and what you're playing right now. All right, guys. So I am Momo Chan Jones on Twitch. You can find me on Twitter at Mo C Jones. You can find me on YouTube at Momo Chan Jones. Uh, I stream on Twitch on Monday and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and the next stream, which is in a little Five less than a, in a less a little less than an hour, uh, I will be playing. I will be starting. Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. Ah, and we'll probably be rating that channel after we're done. We're going to try to get Wrestling Historia and re- Wrestling Historia? Wrestling Historian. Welcome. 
back, gentlemen and ladies, as we take our usual trip back in the way back machine, the way, way back machine, uh, when we disregard what we're seeing now, what passes for uh, wrestling or you call it sports entertainment, uh, no more boneyard matches or funhouse of hell matches or football stadium tomfoolery. We are going to go back in time where uh, belts were actually called belts instead of titles, where fans filled up arenas from all 50 states, and back when sports entertainment was professional wrestling. I got two weeks worth of stuff here, but we're going to make it quick uh, because not a lot of stuff happened in August, and what stuff that did happen was kind of big. And also, you're going to notice a theme in this edition of Wrestling Historian. It's SummerSlam season. So off we go. Uh, we're going to go back to August 21st, 1979, an incredibly important date in professional wrestling history, an incredibly important date in my life as a professional wrestling fan, because it was August 21st, 1979, in Tampa, Florida, where the dream came true it finally happened after years of trying and failing dusty Rhodes <laughs> defeated harley race to win his first nwa heavyweight championship wow this was such a big deal for me that i took the pictures that were taken exclusively uh for pro wrestling illustrated and i cut them out in a taped them to my bedroom wall. That's how big a fan I was of Dusty Rose, and that's how proud I was of him of that of his moment of finally realizing his dream. And he tried so often with Terry Funk, couldn't get over that hump, and he tried unsuccessfully with Harley Race. But on this particular night, August 21st, 1979, when Race went for the diving headbutt, and he landed on Dusty's bionic elbow. And Dusty gave him an elbow drop, another one, and then a big one with that big one-two step and came down on Harley with the one-two-three. Couldn't believe it. Fans flooded the ring. Wrestlers like a young Buzz Sawyer, young Manny Fernandez, <laughs> Steve Kern, uh, Jack Briscoe put the belt around his waist and carried Dusty from the ring on their shoulders, gave him a beer party in the locker room. Pictures from Inside Wrestling and the wrestler all made famous worldwide. And the, the post-match interview you did, if you got a dream, go for it. Like screaming down his face. Amazing. Uh, but August 21st, 1979, Dusty Rhodes wins his first world championship. Uh, August 24th, um, we have to say happy belated birthday to a man who was born in 1945. With, which must have been tough on his mom, but in 1945, um, man was born with huge grapefruits. So happy oh. belated 75th birthday to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I mean, what can I say? It's Vince McMahon, you know what I mean? Yes, and not Vince Jr., because people call him Vince Jr. because his father's name was Vincent McMahon, but his father's name was Vincent John McMahon. And Vince and Vincent Vincent Kennedy McMahon. So he is not Vince Jr. He's just 
has the same name as his his late great father. But 75 years old, uh, Vince McMahon, depending on who you ask, still going strong. Um, I mean, he's still making money. So who are we to argue about how strong he is? You know? Uh, no, yeah. Um, and there have been some critics of the last couple of times he's been on the air, not looking as the robust Vince that we've come to know and barely uh, ignore or barely, you know, stomach. But um, he's still Vince, and he's still uh, accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish in professional wrestling. He's seventy-five, right? He is indeed. Okay. To those people that always comment on people's look, I don't understand this. I never will. Maybe because that's because because I'm fugly. People age. Yeah. So he's seventy five. Yeah, I've I've heard the word gaunt, and I guess because we're so used to seeing the big, bigger than life strolling down the the, the ramp, that's my man, <laughs> and seeing the muscles bulging through his, his suit, yeah, and. To not have that bench now, to have him looking like a seventy-five-year-old grandfather, which he is. Well, well, who'd have who'd have thunk it that he would yeah. look like he was seventy-five at seventy-five? Yeah, and also the shock of him because we haven't seen him on TV for so long. That's, I guess, why people are quick to uh, to judge. But happy belated seventy-fifth birthday to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Okay, Pally. Okay, okay, pal. You want to play, pal? Um, and I grew up with him again, dating myself. I just remember my earliest memories of Vince was in a yellow jacket uh, at the Hamburg Field House or in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Vince reporting. Vince McMahon rings out here to the World Wide Wrestling Federation. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's my childhood. We talked about the Black Saturday the other day. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked so uncomfortable in, on that set. Where usually he looked real comfortable, but he just looked like he didn't even want to be there. <laughs> you know, because he grew up, his idea, you know, in wrestling, uh, Saturday afternoon wrestling TV was always done in an arena in yeah. the WWF way. And now this is a, a, a TV studio that's not even made for wrestling. You know, so he was like, and he would also, he would always, you know, when he would talk about the competition when he did, he said, we are, we're a state-of-the-art, we're a production. And you see some of these wrestling organizations, they take place in a TV studio or half-empty TV studio. Um, and those half-empty TV studios uh, created some of the greatest moments in wrestling history, some of the greatest angles, some of which I'll talk about later on in the segment of Wrestling Historian. Uh, but uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling um, had the greatest angles of all time happen in that little tiny TV studio. Uh, with Mr. Wrestling too, with Roddy Piper, uh, with the uh, a young Jimmy, with the Freebirds first uh, debuted, in that tiny studio in Flor in Florida with Gordon Sully, uh, where Dusty Rhodes uh, would start his feuds with who knows who, in Mid South in a tiny little uh, studio in Shreveport, that's where Kamala slammed Andre the Giant, that's where Ted DiBiase turned heel for the first time, I mean the, the wrestling there was infinitely better than what was going on in the WWF. And that's when I knew that WWF wasn't the beginning all and the end all because the all these great all this great wrestling that was happening in this tiny little studio when Ric Flair would go thirty five minutes with Jack Briscoe and during a TV show that wow, I don't see this on WWF. All I see is, you know, sweet hands and defeating Frankie Williams or um uh, 
Ernie Ladd taking apart some job guy in 30 seconds. Um, but what Vince did with uh, what he was given uh, after his father died, taking wrestling worldwide, global, um, he did. He never wanted to be in the wrestling business. He wanted to be in the in show business. He, I remember the he told Ted Turner when Ted Turner bought WCW, he called Vince and said, "Guess what, Vince? I'm in the wrestling business." And Vince answered, "Well, good for you, Ted. I'm in the entertainment business." And that's all you need to know about Vince McMahon. The other quote I always remember along that line is uh, in uh, Beyond the Mat. We make movies. Yeah. And that's why we have this segment to remind myself back when we didn't make movies, when we actually made wrestling. Uh, <laughs> speaking of wrestling, August 25th, 1984, a big day in professional wrestling history because that was the day that the Road Warriors defeated the Over the Hill gang of Crusher and Baron Von Raschke for the AWA Tag Team Championship. The Road Warriors would hold on to that AWA tag team title for another year and a half. While they were AWA tag team champions, they made regular stops in the NWA. There was more AWA tag team title matches against the NWA tag team champions than has ever happened in wrestling history. The AWA tag team champions had never wrestled in the NWA, let alone against the NWA tag team champions before the Road Warriors. Uh, the Road Warriors. Uh, with their AWA tag team titles would continue what they started in Georgia in that tiny little studio that Vince McMahon used to uh, make fun of. That's where the Road Warriors debuted. That's where the most dominant, greatest tag team of all time debuted on Georgia Championship Wrestling, where they not only won their local tag team title, but took that national tag team title win and went all over the world in every territory, not named the WWF, because they were that over and that big, and they dropped the, in, the national tag team championship so they can go to the AWA, win those tag team titles, and continue to appear in every federation under the sun as the AWA tag team champions. And they did it. It started August 25th, 1984. On that same date, August 25th, 2002, I mentioned earlier, Dan, that the theme of this edition of uh, – wrestling historian is it's SummerSlam season well August 25th 2002 was SummerSlam and Nassau Coliseum we got to see the only the first last and only matchup between a guy we mentioned uh in our last um HIAC talk radio segment rock rock confrontation the rock lost the WWE Heavyweight Championship to Brock Lesnar. And Brock became the youngest WWF champion of all time in their first last meeting. And a match that saw Brock come in as the face but they're noticing they were witnessing something big and also knew that rock was going to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and back in the infant stages of the internet where things leaked out quite a bit and lots of fans knew mainstream fans knew mainstream media news before wrestling fans did. 
So they knew that this was Rock's last match in a while and um, were anxious to see him go. Uh, but that started the uh, the career, uh, the first championship, the first of many championships, and the uh, the uh, the pain train began with Brock Lesnar defeating The Rock <laughs> for the WWE. Well, here comes the pain. Yeah, I started right there, August twenty fifth, two thousand two. <laughs> August twenty sixth, Dan, nineteen seventy five. I remember where I was. Because um, I was watching it on TV, Vince McMahon in the yellow jacket calling the action where the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, defeated the team of Dominic DiNucci and Irish Pat Barrett for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Uh, the referee's back was turned, and Pat Barrett had Blackjack Lanza pinned, and Blackjack Mulligan, the grandfather of Bray Wyatt, eventually climbed to the top rope. And came off on the back of Pat Barrett, and the Blackjacks won the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship. And it's called by uh, Vince McMahon. Now, the Blackjacks had already been the WWA Tag Team Champions. They had been the AWA. Uh, no, I apologize. They were never the AWA Tag Team Champions. Um, but they had been WWA Tag Team Champions, managed by Bobby Heenan. But their only time in WWF, managed by... Lou Albano, they become the, and I remember seeing it on TV and just being shocked at Saturday morning seeing the Blackjacks win the Tag Team Championship. Hey, remember at the beginning of the segment, Dan, I said that Dusty Rhodes won the NWA title by defeating Harley Race for his first NWA championship? Yes. Well, August 26th, five days later, Harley Race regained it. <laughs> The first reign of Dusty Rhodes only ha- only lasted five days. But in those five days, he had three title defenses. And one of them was that afternoon, Dan. His last title defense was against Don The Rock Morocco in Jacksonville, Florida at a 3 o'clock in the afternoon show. But that night um, in Miami, uh, Dusty Rhodes, the champion, got in the ring first which was odd. Even odder still was when Terry Funk came out of the uh, the crowd, attacked Dusty Rhodes with his belt buckle, and came off the top rope and landed on Dusty Rhodes' right arm, where he had the bionic elbow. We find out later that the arm was broken, but Dusty Rhodes would not stop the match. Harley Race calmly strode in, took off his robe, and was waiting, and Dusty pleaded with the referee, let the match continue. And Dusty Rhodes had a great showing of himself, even bloodying Harley Race, you know, when he ran his head to the to the post. So it looked like if Dusty could just stay away and not use that bionic elbow, he could win. Funny thing about this match, Dan, beforehand, Harley Race had uh, petitioned the NWA to have the, no, the disqualification rule um, enforced. Uh, <laughs> so if... If he was disqualified, if Dusty Rhodes was disqualified, or if uh, the title would change hands, Dusty Rhodes said sure because Harley Race had made a habit of when he was finding himself on the losing end of a match, he throw his opponent over the top rope to get himself disqualified, or he would go over the top rope himself to get for the match to end on disqualification. Well, 
uh, Harley Race had Dusty Rhodes, a one-armed Dusty Rhodes all prime for a pile driver, and Dusty just backdropped Harley Race over his back, but unfortunately, Harley went over the top rope, which is a disqualification of the NWA. So Dusty Rhodes lost his first NWA championship by disqualification by inadvertently backdropping Harley Race over the top rope in a match that Harley Race one of the one of the disqualification rule enforced. So that's how Dusty lost his NWA championship, and the focus went right to Harley Race because the inside wrestling even said, "Now that Harley Race is a three-time NWA champion, does that make him the greatest?" <laughs> so even back then, before Harley's eventual eight championship reign, the third one has already had people talking about Harley Race as one of the all-time greats. But that was August 26, 1979. Uh, August 26, 1991. Big SummerSlam um, for big title wins. Do you remember I mentioned the Road Warriors won the uh, AWA championship in August, on August 25th? Yes, yeah, sir. Well, August 26th, the very next day, seven years later, the Road Warriors defeated the Nasty Boys for the WWF Tag Team Championship. To become the first team ever and the only team to ever be the NWA, AWA, and the WWF Tag Team Champions. All three world champions, all three world, all three recognized wrestling organizations, and the Road Warriors were the world champions, and all three, them being the Nasty Boys, completed the Triple Crown. Also in that same SummerSlam, in one of the best matches in WWE history and one of the best matches in SummerSlam history, Bret Hart defeated Mr. Perfect for his first Intercontinental Championship and did it by uh, submission with the sharpshooter in one of the best matches. And uh, Bret Hart has said that Kurt Hennig is one of his favorite opponents of all time, uh, and that was one of his favorite matches. But Bret Hart defeated... Kurt Henning for his first Intercontinental title. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, was he not using the sharpshooter relatively a short amount of time at that point? Uh, he had been using it um, during his uh, his singles run. That's what and I mean, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after, after um, WrestleMania uh, 4, when he turned face, uh, after the Battle Royal, that he lost to uh, Bad News Brown, his uh, Calgary Stampede uh, partner. That's right. He had the temper tantrum and uh, yeah, broke the broke trophy. The, broke the trophy, which was taller than him. Yeah, and then, and then he went on to become a face. But yeah, that's when he started using the sharpshooter. Yep. All right. Yeah, because he he was a he wasn't using it right away when he was in uh, the Heart Foundation. It came a little later. No, and because all their team, all their wins came via the heart attack. Uh, double team, the bear hug clothesline that so many other teams have made famous, but yeah, pretty much the, the heart attack. Uh, but Bret Hart stepping out on his own because you know, with certain tag teams, Dan, you know who the best, you, you know who you know, you know who the good one is. Hart Foundation, you know, was Bret, you know, even in um, Harlem Heat, you know, it was Booker, you know, Edge and Christian. I knew it was Edge, you know. <laughs> The certain one they they stick out, and with the Hart Foundation, you know the Bret Hart 
was by fans regarded as the best wrestler in the company when he was one half of the Hart Foundation. But uh, he stepped out on his own August 26, 1991, and uh, won his first Intercontinental Championship. Um, the very August 27th, 1990, right here, Philadelphia, SummerSlam 1990, the beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum. Um, Can you say that? I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, that it was. And on this particular SummerSlam, um, some other first, I mentioned Bret Hart winning the Intercontinental title in 1991. Well, in 1990, he and Jim Neidhart won their final WWF Tag Team Championship when they beat Demolition. Um, and it was a two out of three falls match. And in the second fall, they were disqualified because the Road Warriors came out and to distract Demolition. And even though in the NWA, if you get disqualified in one of the falls, even if you win the third fall, you don't win the title. Well, they waived that. So even though oh, he, interesting, I don't remember that rule. Yeah, that's how that's how Harley and that's how Rick kept their NWA titles in two out of three fall matches. Oh, wow. If they lost one of the falls by disqualification, so <laughs> when the babyface pinned them in the third fall, the place would go nuts. But the announcer would say because there was disqualification in the second fall. Uh, so and so is a winner, but Ric Flair is still champion. You dirty bastards! <laughs> because he wasn't, because he wasn't pinned twice. So, uh, SummerSlam nineteen ninety, the Hart Foundation won their final tag team championship wow. and winning his first and only title in the WWF uh, because of the parasailing accident by the original opponent, Brutus Beefcake. Kurt Henning lost the Intercontinental title. To the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. That's right. That's right. And Man, if he could have, if te- if Kerry could have defeated his demons, man, he would have been a champion for a long time. I feel, even if it was the Intercontinental Champion, he was a Von Erich. I mean, he wasn't a he wasn't a slouch at all. You know, like he would have had a hell of a career, man. He would. He would have. And. uh Two things it weirded me out seeing an NWA champion and an AWA former AWA champion in the WWF ring fighting over the Intercontinental title. Um, that was one. And B, um, had Kerry gotten hold of his demons and had, and you know, we speculate so many times if not, if it wasn't Hulk Hogan in 1984, who would it have been? Uh, Kerry was at the top of Vince's list because he checked all the boxes as far as the look, the charisma. Yeah. The work in the ring, obviously, Kerry was light years ahead of Hogan as far as work in the ring. And he wanted, you know, and he tried to buy world class, you know, before he went to um, to Georgia Championship Wrestling. You know, he couldn't get Mid-South because of Bill Watts. He couldn't get world class because of Fritz. But uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe and Jim Barnett were not happy with Ole, and that's how they got to sell this. this to sell freaking Wrestling. Yeah, freaking Ole. <laughs> But, uh, but, I mean, if, if Hogan had stayed in the AWA, if, Miss, if Vern Gagne was smart, one of the backups um, was going to be Kerry. Damn. And, uh, but with Kerry, and, you know, I, like you said, if he had taken control of his demons, um, 
what he could have been and what he could have been even with, you know, had he not gone to the WWF, what he could have just been in the NWA or what he could have been for world class. You think, you think about it just an extension, not to make the conversation that much longer, but without all the trauma, because mm-hmm. that's traumatic for a brother to watch yeah. all of his brothers die. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Carrie would have, uh, Kevin would have had a hell of a career. Not that he didn't have a hell of a career in the first place. No, but he would have had another ten years in him, in in Crockett or with Vince, and it just he didn't have any will to. He's like, I'm not. I'm good. Yeah, and you know, because he of his loyalty to his father and to his loyalty to you know the brand, uh, I don't think Kevin would have ever taken the offer to go to uh, the WWF. I think if anything, um, it would have been the NWA because um, so many of their um, their world class wrestlers had gone that route, namely Rick Rude and the Freebirds and the Midnight Express and the Fantastics. And so many uh, world class uh, wrestlers. That's why I think GR, where I think Gino Hernandez would have wound up uh, had he not left the you know, too soon. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Kerry winning the Intercontinental title right here in Philly uh, was a big deal because wow. I was proud of him. And I mean, he did it with one foot, which we didn't know till after he, he had passed. But uh, yeah, had, uh, had Kerry taken control had better care of himself you know who knows where he would have been and the same thing with with Gino when I say um if it if it had happened to him it might have happened sooner if Kerry had come to the WWF in 1984 uh and, and to be the the Hulk Hogan um who knows if he would have lasted until until 86 Hogan had a good five-year run as champion doing all the you know Kerry was Kerry had demons when he was just wrestling in Texas. Granted, it was the biggest uh, local; it was the biggest uh, territory in the NWA, and doing five sh- doing five shows a day, or sometimes a full week, just doing Texas and making appearances in the Mid South. But, but if you're in the WF, you're flying to Washington, to Seattle, to Miami, to Toronto, to Chicago, to Los Angeles, to Allentown, to and there's TV taping and there's appearances. So um, who knows how he would have held up had Kerry been the the, the, uh, the Hulk Hogan instead of Hulk Hogan. We will never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, August but August 27, 1990, SummerSlam right here in Philly. Kerry uh, Von Erich was on top of the world. August 29th, 1982, speaking of the AWA, um, one of the big shocking upsets in AWA history, Otto Wands, who was the CWA champion out of Austria. The CWA, not to be confused with the Continental Wrestling Association uh, in Tennessee, uh, which I'll talk about later on in this uh, edition of Wrestling Historian, but the, the Catch Wrestling Association in Austria was where wrestler, American wrestlers would go for a great payday, a great, uh, great scenery, a great vacation, and still wrestle the area's top champion. And that top champion was Otto Wands. And wrestler, American wrestlers would come to Austria to challenge him. Big John Studd, Blackjack Mulligan, 
Bruiser Brody, um, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great heavyweight Don Leo Jonathan would go to Austria, and uh, the AWA title champion Vern Gagne was on good terms with him. Uh, would go down there, and people had nothing but good things to say. Well, Otto Wands, the CWA champion, came to America, came to St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, August 29th, 1982, he pinned Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA Heavyweight Championship. Whoa. First time. trivia I didn't know. Yes, the first time ever an Austrian-born or foreign wrestler had defeated the – had become an AWA champion in in America, in the AWA territory. So Ottawa's legit 375, um, who did a great forward role, but would pin – Nick Bockwinkle in St. Paul, Minnesota, AWA country for the AWA Heavyweight Championship. Uh, August 29th, 1988, Madison Square Garden, the very first SummerSlam, Dan, um, highlighted by the uh, mega powers, uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage against uh, Andre and Ted DiBiase with the Great Jesse Ventura as the uh, referee of that. Um, also on that uh, first SummerSlam, the original opponent for the Honky Tonk Man, who once again was supposed to be Brutus Beefcake. So that's twice that Brutus Beefcake was the original opponent for the Intercontinental title. First was 1990 against Kurt Henning. Had a parasailing accident, but the first time was 1988, where he was attacked by Ron Bass. The 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 universe is trying to clear send you a clear message, Vince, that they really don't want Brutus Beefcake to be a champion. Yes, and that's why Brutus Beefcake, well, outside of the W, the tag team title with uh, Greg Valentine, he never was a champion. Well, Brutus Beefcake could not make it for his. Uh, Intercontinental title match against the Honky Tonk Man. So Honky Tonk Man grabbed the uh, microphone. Give me somebody. Give me somebody out here. And the music. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. Music hit. I got goosebumps, Dan. Even at the time, even at 22 years old, I was a huge. I marked out. Could not believe it. You and knew coming at, at 22 that this was going to be a moment. It was. And in 31 seconds, the Ultimate Warrior became the new Intercontinental Champion, ending the longest reign in Intercontinental title history, a, a record that has never been broken and will probably never will be broken, but it was over in 31 seconds. <laughs> in, in, in like a lion, out like a lamb. Bam. <laughs> like that. Oh man, I just watched a um there's a wrestling channel called Wrestling with Regret. Mm-hmm. If you don't watch that channel, please do. Brian Zane is excellent. Okay. Uh Wrestling with Regret, he reviews, well, he reviews shows weekly. Uh daily, he'll put up reviews. Uh but if you're a Patreon uh a subscriber, you can suggest old pay-per-views to us uh, to view. Mhm. And he's done a bunch of early WCWs, the early 90s WCWs. Uh, but the last video he just put out was the Royer, the 1996 Ultimate Warrior run. 
which of course you go back and look at the 88 and the two times he held up Vince for money. And you, yeah. oh man, I, I know it's not cool to talk about him in that way. Cause he passed away. Um, it's no secret. He was a giant douchebag. No. And it's real hard to out douche Vince, <laughs> but he did twice. <laughs> Well, one of them was one of the times I left out on this week's uh, wrestling historian, Dan, was uh, that SummerSlam in 91 where oh, Brett yeah. beat um, – the main event was Hogan and Warrior against Sergeant Slaughter, Iron Sheik, and Sheik Adnan Al Casey with Sid as a special guest referee. Warrior would not go out. He was at the, the gorilla position and wouldn't go out until Vince gave him a raise. His music was playing. His opponents are in the ring. And he t- I'm not going out until I get a raise. Uh, Vince gave in, Warrior went down, had the match with Hogan and Sid and all those guys. So as he walked back through the curtain, Vince fired him. <laughs> good. That's the one time I'm like, yeah, good for you, Vince. Get the f- out of here. Uh, I, I, you know, it depends on the day where I'm hot on cold on the Warrior. The Warrior was not a good person from all, all accounts. Uh, it, like I said, you have to try real hard for me to side with Vince, so. <laughs> and that happens to be one of them. And you have to be a special kind of douche to out douche Vince. Yeah, I think that's the quote. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I think you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trademark that. You have to try. It takes it takes a douche to out douche uh, Vince. It takes a real douche to out douche Vince. But all that being said, Dan, you have to wonder why Vince would want to sign him again in 1996, knowing what a huge douche he was five years earlier. Yeah, and in '96, the video mentions. They didn't just sign him to do wrestling. They had that freaking comic book. They had the Warrior uh, Nation Wrestling School. I mean, they threw everything at this guy for it to just fizzle out again. She to cut to Raw that one week and, and Gorilla Monsoon uh, indefinitely suspending the Warrior. The next time you saw him was on Nitro two years later. Yeah. Yeah, and because that, that's what makes you, you wonder. It's like, and because Warrior made all these demands, and it's a jerk. Yep, yep, yep. It's like, you're giving in to this guy? And you couldn't give Vader a shot? Oh, I don't even want to talk about I, No, I don't even talk about Vader. Because he just, I think last month he did the Vader run in WWE, and I'm like, I'm mad all over again. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Yeah. So that was August 29th, 1988. Bring the mic down. August 29th, 1988, the uh, first pay-per-view of the of the Warrior, uh, winning the Intercontinental title, 1988. Uh, that same date, four years later, August 29th, eighth, sorry, August 29th, 1992. A lot of eight and nines in there. SummerSlam in Wembley Arena, 88,000 strong to see the main event. Which was when's the last time this happened? The main event was the Intercontinental Title match between Bret Hart, then the champion, and Davy Boy Smith. Davy Boy Smith being led to the ring by Lennox Lewis, whose birthday it is today. Right. This is Lennox Lewis when he was an up and coming, promising heavyweight champion, heavyweight boxer. He hadn't been champion yet. Lennox Lewis still the only person to knock out both Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. And he who's defeated every single person he's fought. Uh, but uh, August 29th, 1992, SummerSlam, 
Wembley Arena. Uh, main event for the Intercontinental title. Again, it was the last time that happened when the main event was for the Intercontinental title. But uh, Davey Boy going over Bret Hart, his brother-in-law. And the best part about that is about five seconds into the match, <laughs> Bulldog pulls Bret in. It just says the words that Bret, oh, hey, Bret, I'm totally fucked. <laughs> He had a crack bench the night before. <laughs> He'd forgotten the whole match. They practiced this. It was so Brett had to leave the match by himself. And if you watch that match, you wouldn't know it. No, because it's one of the best matches ever put on by those two guys, and you have no idea that uh, uh, Mr. Smith is going. What's next? <laughs> yeah. And I guess it must have been a, a fun night for uh, because that was also uh, we know the Legion of Doom took on uh, Money Inc. and Hawk was the one who was fooked. Um, he could drive the motorcycle down to the ring, but other than that, couldn't do anything else. Which looking back was probably not a great idea either. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, he could drive the motorcycle, but he couldn't come off the top rope. Uh, which is why they couldn't do the doomsday finish. That was the planned finish for that match, and it just ended up being a uh, a power slam by Animal that uh, that ended the match. Uh, but yes, that SummerSlam was wrought with cluster um, uh, effery. <laughs> yes, cluster effery. But uh, yeah, August 29th, nineteen ninety-two, still the largest crowd, uh, largest overseas crowd. This is the first uh, pay-per-view. Outside of the United States for the WWE, the largest crowd uh, outside of the United States for the WWE still. And uh, the first time it was a uh, 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 first time a title had changed hands outside the United States in the WWE. That was August 29th, 1992. August 30th, 1982. Uh, big in Madison Square Garden. Um, it was the continuation of the maybe the greatest feud of the 80s outside of Flair and Steamboat. Uh, the match that made Cactus Jack want to be a wrestler. Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid brought their feud for the WWF Junior Heavyweight title to Madison Square Garden. Now, the match only lasted six minutes and 30 seconds, Dan, because this was the first time either one of them had ever wrestled in Madison Square Garden. It was the first time American audiences had ever seen the Dynamite Kid or Tiger Mask. But what they saw had them wrapped in amazement. Dynamite, uh, Dynamite Kid was thrown out of the ring, and when Tiger Mask went to the other side, and everyone thought it was going to vault over Instead, he did the first 619 in America and faked everyone out. But the, the, the flips that they did just in that six minutes captured everyone's attention. That, that videotape was uh, traded and sold nationwide, even to a young uh, Mick Foley in Long Island, New York. And that's what made him want to be a, uh, a wrestler. And obviously the matches that Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid had in Japan far out went a lot more longer than six, the six minutes and 30 seconds they were given to Madison Square Garden. But to have their feud, to have these two amazing wrestlers bring their type of wrestling that fans, no American fans hadn't even seen, but Northeast 
most fans had never even seen. Uh, was absolutely incredible, but uh, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid wrestling at Madison Square Garden was an achievement. Two of the greatest uh, cruiserweights, light heavyweights, junior heavyweights, if you want to call them, uh, but the greatest my in my top five greatest feuds of all time. Uh, but they brought it to Madison Square Garden August 30th, 1982. Uh, that same date, August 30th, 1993, SummerSlam, Dan. You believe this? Uh, and it was a uh, <laughs> it was a Jim Cornette double shot. Uh, this particular SummerSlam uh, held in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I remember because this was the uh, the the WWE pay per view debut of the Steiner brothers, and this was their hometown in Michigan. It's just and, the way uh, you said that, Craig. I'm sorry. Keep going. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But they, uh, the, the Todd Pettenpuke uh, interviewed uh, <laughs> the Steiners' um, mother and sister. And the funny part was him calling them by their real names, calling them Scott and Rob. Because <laughs> Scott and Rob. Rick, yeah, because R- Rick Steiner's name is Rob Rick Steiner. Yeah. That's their last name. It's not Rick Steiner. It's Rob Rick, Rick Steiner. Steiner. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like if your name was Kala, your first name was Kala, and your last name was Chico. Was Chico, yes, exactly. Yeah, what's up, Kala? So, um, <laughs> Chico. Um, so the uh, the Steiner brothers, the defending, reigning, defending WWF Tag Team Champions, took on the team of the Heavenly Bodies, Smoky Mountain's finest, and Jim Cornette uh, in the corner with uh, Tom Pritchard and the Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. Now, the Steiners had already had obviously worked with uh, Jim Cornette before and worked with the Midnight Express before and the, the Heavenly Bodies. And, and it's no one's fault to say they were just a, a Midnight Express light team doing the same type of moves that uh, Bobby and Stan did and what uh, Bobby and Dennis did. But they had never worked with Jimmy Del Rey before. This was the first time ever, not just first time meeting him, but first time being in the ring with him. And just like with uh, Davey Boy and Brett, uh, they went with it. Uh, it. You couldn't tell that they hadn't been in the ring before because Tom was calling it. He was the most experienced out of all four men in the ring. And um, that uh, it went off seamlessly. And uh, the Heavenly Bodies got a great run out of it and even got a mention by Vince McMahon about the uh, Smoky Mountain. Because Vince, I mean, Jim Cornette had come to SummerSlam in a neck brace because of being pile driving in Smoky Mountain. And Vince even mentioned that on the uh, SummerSlam telecast that uh, Jim Cornette had problems in Smoky Mountain. So Heavenly Bodies acquitted themselves well, thought should have gotten a run for the tag team titles, which instead went to, to the Quebecers. Uh, um, but uh, that was Jim Cornette's first uh, match at SummerSlam in 1993. Because he had to give himself up for the main event when he was in the corner of the WWF Heavyweight Champion Yokozuna going up against the total package Lex Luger in the last stop on the Lex Express. And you remember the Lex Express, Dan, in 1993, the single biggest, longest push of any professional wrestler in WWF history. The push that Lex Luger got was eclipsed anything they ever did for Hogan. 
And Lex Luger went across the world, across the country, in this specially made Greyhound bus called the Lex Express. And the final stop was going to be at the Palace at Auburn Hills at SummerSlam when Lex Luger would defeat Yokozuna and become the WWF Heavyweight Champion. Well, Lex Luger would defeat Yokozuna. It's so stupid. But it was so do it by countout. It's so stupid. I hate Lex Luger so goddamn much. But this is so stupid. So he let Yokozuna is counted out. If you watch that match, okay, Yokozuna was pushing six hundred pounds. Yeah. But it was Lex Luger who was blown up at the end of that match. Yokozuna is fresh as a daisy. I mean, Samoa. Okay, but Luger was already, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roidhead, yeah. So, uh, but Luger was blown up at the end. So, Lex Luger wins the match by count out. Out come the Steiners, hoist him on top of their shoulders. Down come the balloons. Everyone's celebrating. And Yokozuna is still the champion. So that ended the uh, single greatest push of anyone in WWF history. And good, because screw Lex Luger. <laughs> screw that whole promo. That whole thing is stupid. That whole push was worthless. Also, screw Lex Luger. <laughs> yeah. But the, 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 uh, the most notable thing for me, Dan, about this, this particular SummerSlam in 1993, the Intercontinental title match, uh, Shawn Michaels – defeated Kurt Henning by countout. And that was Diesel's first uh, pay-per-view. He was uh, the bodyguard of Shawn Michaels. But when Shawn Michaels defeated Kurt Henning by countout, Dan, that was the first time in SummerSlam history that the Intercontinental title did not change hands. Oh, wow. All the other SummerSlams I just told you about in this segment of of, uh, Wrestling Historian, the Intercontinental title changed hands. But in 1993, after five years, the Intercontinental title did not change hands. So that was the most notable thing that happened at SummerSlam 1993. By the way, also, screw you, Lex Luger. Yes, and if we hadn't mentioned it before to Lex Luger, please go upon yourself. Uh, September 1st, some notable dates. Um, 1979, September 1st, 1979, Ric Flair, who had freshly turned face, uh, he had just won the NWA tag team title with his tag team partner, Blackjack Mulligan, Bray Wyatt's grandfather I mentioned earlier. So Ric Flair, who was already a United States champion, gave up the United States title uh, to because he was one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions with Blackjack Mulligan. So there was a one-night tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina, to crown a new United States champion. I'm not going to give you all the uh, wrestlers who, who were involved. Some of them are Hall of Famers like uh, Bruiser Brody. Well, Bruiser Brody should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Big John Studd, Wahoo McDaniel. But the finals, the semifinals, Superfly Jimmy Snuka defeated Jim Brunzel. <laughs> and Ricky Steamboat defeated Buddy Rogers. Yes, that Buddy Rogers. To advance to the finals, the Buddy Rogers, who was also the manager of Jimmy Snuka, the Buddy Rogers, who had entered into a program with that, with that, the other nature boy, Ric Flair. The Buddy Rogers, who was wrestling in the Mid-Atlantic regularly. He made it to the semifinals, but he was defeated by Ricky Steamboat. Uh, and 
I know no tape exists, but unless you were in Charlotte September 1st, 1979, you would have seen Ricky Steamboat take on Buddy Rogers. But in the finals, Superfly Jimmy Snuka defeated Ricky Steamboat to win his first and only United States Heavyweight Championship. So that was uh, Jimmy Snuka, full-fledged heel, wearing boots, the wild man from from the Fiji Islands, defeated Ricky Steamboat in the tournament, the finals of a tournament to become United States champion. And one-time murderer. And one-time murderer. Before the murder, but in 1979. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my bad. Yep, sorry. Three years before he went off the rails. Still a good guy. Still a good guy. Still a great heel. But, um, hey, he was a great heel. He was a great heel. It was when he wore boots, you know, didn't have the knee pads, just a straight-up wild man with a um, – and watching Snooker and Steamboat wrestle – was a sight to behold anyway, but to see both of their bodies just like it was drawn by Marvel Comics, it's watching two superheroes go at it, both come off the top rope, both flying at each other, both taking unbelievable arm drags, dueling flying body presses. Yes, uh, Snooka versus Steamboat, a very short feud, but they're one match for the in the finals of the United States Championship. Um, Inside Wrestling called it, they had a whole three-page spread and just nothing but pictures, and they called it the match of blood and sorrow because Snooka oh, and wow. Steamboat. What a Snooka, name. Yeah, because Snooka and Steamboat had been friends, and they and you, they even had a picture of uh, Jimmy Snooka and Ricky Steamboat would compete in bodybuilding competitions that year. And you saw in 78 when you had Steamboat and Snooka just standing there on their little on their little steps, you know, but yeah, both would enter bodybuilding competition. And, and in fact, in one, I was, uh, Steamboat, Snuka, and Tony Atlas were all in the same one, um, same bodybuilding competition. But yeah, so that was September 1st, 1979. September 1st, 1990, um, I mentioned uh, when we mentioned when Vince bought Georgia Championship Wrestling, he had he looked like he had no idea where he was because he was in a tiny studio. Where tiny studios, some of the greatest things happened, I mentioned earlier. Well, one of the things, not the greatest thing, but the most memorable thing happened. Maybe the most memorable thing has ever happened on a Saturday morning wrestling show. September 1st, 1990, Memphis, Tennessee. On WMC-TV Memphis, where they had the greatest ratings, the biggest ratings of any show, not just a wrestling show, but any TV show in the United States. On this tiny studio in Memphis at WMC-TV, Jerry Lawler's feud with Eddie Gilbert had, uh, was raging uh, fast and furious all throughout the state of Tennessee. Well, they fought outside in the studio, and they fought outside the studio into the parking lot. And it was there where Eddie Gilbert got into a car. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and ran over Jerry Lawler. Yeah. I wouldn't say ran over, but ran into Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler flipped over the front of the car that Eddie Gilbert meant to press the brake, but pressed the gas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he ran this dude up the car. Uh, up. And over the car. And what made it more chilling, Dan, was because we were watching this in complete silence. They went outside in the parking lot where there was no sound. There was no microphone. And you saw Jerry looking for Eddie. And Eddie came right out of 
right towards Jerry, and Jerry hopped up and just fl- and you just heard the hush in the crowd of, oh my god, that really happened. Yeah. Wasn't um, everybody calling the cops, too, from watching on TV? So much so, Dan, that when Jerry Lawler, and this is before cell phones, this is 1990, Jerry Lawler, well, Eddie Gilbert drove around the corner, knows that he effed up, called the studio for Payphone and wanted to know if Jerry's okay. Is Jerry okay? Eddie Marlin said, "Eddie, stay on the line. Don't go anywhere." Okay. So when Eddie, when Jerry got back to his feet, the cops were already on their way because so many people had called and said they were witnessing an attempt. And Jerry had to tell cops that it was all. He had to break kayfabe and say it was all an angle. That yeah. he was okay, even though he was in obvious severe pain. I'm fine. Oh. <laughs> no, it's fine. Told, oh god. But he told Eddie to stay away because the cops are here. I think he told him the cops are on their way, or there is one. There's already a, a police officer here, so just don't just come don't back, come back. To the studio. <laughs> don't come back. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Jerry had to tell they had to break kayfabe and tell the cops that it was all part of an angle. It's not confused. Yeah, but 30 years ago, Jerry Lawler. By the way, 30 years ago, 1990. (laughs) Yeah, 30 years ago, 1990. And and speaking of 1990 or 30 years ago, um, we on a previous uh, HIEC talk radio, we talked about the uh, the death of Chadwick Boseman and what a big blow that is. Uh, We lost someone in the wrestling world um, that's big. Maybe not to mainstream fans, certainly not to WWF fans. Uh, but we lost Bullet Bob Armstrong earlier this week. Um, uh, at 80 years old, just an amazing physical specimen and a true legend of Southern wrestling. Because Bob Armstrong um, not only main evented every territory in the South, in Tennessee, all the, the three different wrestling organizations in Tennessee, the Mid-America, Continental, wrestling and in Memphis, but also in Georgia with his son, Brad, um, and in Florida, where he was uh, the bullet, uh, always kept himself in a tremendous shape, a former Marine, former fireman. He had, he gave birth to, he had four sons, all in the wrestling business, and it's like each one of them got something from Bob. You know, Brad got the uh, the 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 work got the the work ethic, got the talent. Uh, Steve was probably the best athlete. Scott Steve, had yeah. the, Scott had the business head. He's the one that's a referee for the WWE, and of course Brad Road Dog had Brian. the charisma. Brian, sorry, Brian. Brian uh, had the. Uh, had Brad the was the arachnid man. <laughs> Brad was the arachnid man. He was the candy man. He was uh, BA. <laughs> He was BA. He was he was he was Bad Street. He was Bad Street. But BA is my favorite when the yeah. Master P and the No Limit Soldiers were there and they needed yeah. another tag team partner They're like, ah, Brad Armstrong's not doing anything. When we've talked about it, I don't mean to make this about Brad because I am I do want to honor the life of Bob Oh sure, Armstrong. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take up. But uh, no, no, but but Brad, you know, when we talk about and that we've mentioned it on this podcast so many times about wrestlers that. If what if or if only they had and I mentioned Gina Hernandez and I mentioned uh, Jay Youngblood who passed away this week also at the age of 30. He passed away in 1985 on August 30th, 1985. 
Brad Armstrong was always a guy that should have been I, – I, I'm convinced that there's an alternate timeline, storyline, alternate earth somewhere. Brad Armstrong is a multi-time heavyweight champion. And we don't talk about Brian at all. No. Uh, uh, Brad Armstrong is um, – yeah, we don't talk about uh, Brian at all because Brad Armstrong had literally everything. He had a great body, incredible in the ring. Just like his, I don't know, his Armstrong trait. You can give any Armstrong a mic and he can cut a promo. Yeah. That, that's just it. Yet some like Brian are better than others, but Brad was, I thought it was always fine uh, in the ring. But everyone that loved Brad Armstrong will, tell, will say how great he was in the locker room. What a great guy. Brad Armstrong had no problem being himself, but he always had a problem being himself in front of the camera. Yeah. Why he had some good promos, but I think if, if he had a manager, if he was a horseman, you would have seen the best of Brad Armstrong because he wouldn't have to be that guy all the time. But anybody, ask Ric Flair, ask Steve Austin, ask anyone in the NWA that he ever worked with. Uh, you can't have a bad match with Brad Armstrong, with any of the Armstrongs. You know and who with, also never had a bad match? Who? Bullet Bob. Bullet Bob never had a bad match. When Jim Cornette started Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he his first call was to Bob Armstrong. He said, Bob, I want you to be my commissioner. And Bob was right. Well, you know, Jimmy, I can do this. And I can. And it almost seemed like Bob was like insulted that Jimmy didn't ask him to come in as a wrestler. Yeah. And he, w- he wanted to explain is that, oh, Bob, we're going to get to that. Because what he wanted to do was exactly what he did with Bill Watts in Mid-South. You know, draw crowds without him. But then if you need it, or even if, you, even if you don't need it, you bring him in as commissioner, you attack him, you get the heat on me, and you bring him out of retirement, and then you pop the territory. And that's exactly what they did. And that's exactly why he wanted Bob to be his commissioner from day one. He said, I'm doing Smoky Mountain. And he wanted Brad to be his first champion. Yeah. Brad was his first choice to be champion. Brad, unfortunately, still was committed to WCW. And it wasn't until he got Tracy Smothers that um, he got his he got the Smoky Mountain champion that he wanted. Um, and Tracy, as great as Smoky Mountain champion as he was, and a great wrestler as he is, he is no Brad. And that's not a knock on Tracy. Mm-mm. But what Brad can do and what Tracy could do was com- two completely different um, skill sets. But but Jim Cornette wanted Bob Armstrong to be his commissioner, and he wanted Brad Armstrong to be his first Smoky Mountain champion. Uh, but Bob was uh, just a guy that always tough, uh, strong, put guys over. It was uh, Ted DiBiase in Georgia that made Brad Armstrong his first, got his first big push. Brad Armstrong went over Ted to um, to be to win his first national heavyweight champion. Uh, to put over the loaded glove, Brad Bob Armstrong. Um, I don't know if you knew about this. He'd always be working out, but this one time the weights weren't set and they fell off and they crushed his face, his arm. If you look at old, you look at old Bob Armstrong pictures, he looked just like Scott, exactly yeah. like Scott. But new Brad Armstrong, his, his face was crushed, his nose, his cheekbones. And that's when he started wearing the mask and wrestling as the bullet. But he, because of that accident and because there was no inter, internet back then or dirt sheets, 
they put over the loaded glove that Ted DiBiase had to get revenge on Brad Armstrong beating him for the National Heavyweight oh, Champion. Oh, okay. Ted DiBiase hit Bob with the loaded glove, with the loaded glove, and crushed his face. Wow. Yeah. So Bob was always thinking, and Bob was was always putting himself over the legacy that he had with the Armstrong children. Uh, it still felt, you know, we have so many of the Armstrongs with us. Unfortunately, we lost Brad, but we lost Bob Armstrong this week. Uh, the fighting fireman, the battling marine, great promo. He's a cornbread, corn-fed, thoroughbred uh, southern wrestler. That was his promo. Um, he had so many great lines, so many uh, great sayings. And uh, he was what uh, who Jim Cornette wanted to be his Smoky Mountain uh, commissioner. And if you watch old Smoky Mountain tapes, when he brought him out, it was magic gold. But we lost uh, a guy who was an, an icon in Southern wrestling. When I talk about professional wrestling in, in the South, the Southern wrestlers completely different from Northern wrestlers. Southern wrestlers because they were believable. Because they, when they wanted to get revenge, they talked just like your their their cousin Lem would talk. You know, just about you know I can't do anything about you getting on me, but you can't do nothing about me getting off you. That kind of thing. And you know, the whether it be Bob or Jerry, Lawler or Dusty, Southern wrestlers just had their own way of of drawing you in. And Bob Armstrong had it better than than anyone. And I'm really really going to. Uh, to miss him, but he left us so much with so many great memories and so many great sons and uh, uh, just a great legacy. So uh, we'll say goodbye to Bullet Bob Armstrong at 80 years old. Uh, great guy. And that, gentlemen, is a wrestling historian. And if you want more of just me, non wrestling historian, you can check me out at Craig Lagans. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, or I-G-I-G-E-O-N-S. Wow, went right into it. Well, you can follow me on all social media accounts at Dan 83 the VOC Nation Radio Network, VOCNation.com. On your smartphone, go to your podcast app, type in VOC Nation Radio Network, and subscribe now. Or, if you're watching live, watch the finished product at YouTube.com slash Dan 83 If you're on YouTube right now, go to Twitch.tv slash Dan Lottie 3 and watch it live. 8 o'clock. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. And you cannot follow me. I'll follow you wherever I want, Purple. Uh, with that being said, for Craig Lagans, I'm Dan Calchico. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Wakanda forever. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor Super Contest and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rival. Rejoice, it's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code VOCNATION, all one word, no spaces, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your pick. Win big. Collect your cash. Use promo code VOCNATION, all one word, no spaces, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.
Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Since 2012, HIC Talk Radio has been bringing you the best of independent wrestling and wrestling on the worldwide scale with interviews and other segments now featuring the Wrestling Historian with Craig Legon every Thursday night at 6 p.m. at VOCNation.com or go to your Android or iPhone and type in VOC Nation Radio Network and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcast today. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. And, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. The morning after, right here on the VOC Nation Radio Network, Brady Hicks and... Homeboy Rap Boy here. I tell you what, we got a good show right here in the afternoon at 12 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on the VOC Nation. Talking wrestling, football, news, whatever's going on in the world today. VOCNation.com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.